0: to talk about having a good cry this morning. Um, Some of you may have done that this week. I know I did more than once, had a good cry this week. Um, There's there's all kinds of crying. You know, there's fake crying. There's the sweet little dainty cry. You know, there's ugly crying where your chin wobbles and the snot rolls and, you know, the whole thing. But within prayer, within scripture, there's a good cry and it's called a lament. And Psalm 13 is one example of a lament. And it's a really short one. And yet it's a really powerful model and a really helpful model for us. So let's just take a moment and and read this together. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying, we've defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Thanks, Melanie. You can take that down. That's just six little verses, but um, it's kind of the pattern for having a good cry. And we're going to talk about what a prayer of lament is. And then um, in a few minutes, Keith is actually going to lead us through sort of practicing a prayer of lament. I, I think it's time for followers of Jesus to get in touch with the power of lament. Because we have a lot to cry about in our world. And it's been there for a long time, but we haven't all been at a place where we are together looking at it and together crying. And there is a tremendous power in this moment, in this, I have no doubt a God ordained time for us to together lament the brokenness that sin has wrought in our world and the opportunity for repentance. Um, So a lament, technically, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. So this is not a dainty cry. This is not a fake cry, okay? This is a passionate expression. Um, Merriam-Webster calls it crying out in grief or wailing. And I don't wail very often, but I've wailed a couple of times in my life, and it's, it's pretty intense. And if you've never wailed, then you even have a greater sense of how intense it is because you've never even done that. Wailing is a big deal. Um, The purpose, though, of a lament is not just a release. It's not just emotional catharsis. There is some benefit in emotional catharsis, but it's very limited. Having a good cry, having a good lament is more than just letting it out because the purpose of lament is to make a choice to trust God and then allow ourselves to hope because of that trust. The purpose of lamenting is to make a choice to trust God and then to allow ourselves to hope because of that trust in Him. So three really simple steps make up the lament in Psalm 13 and three really simple steps can make up the lament in each of our hearts. We complain, we make a bold ask, and then we make a choice to trust. Complaining in prayer is a weird thing. Complaining in prayer, lamenting, it causes us to pray like the Christians that we are, rather than praying like the Christians that we would like to believe we are. Think about that for a minute. A lot of us have prayer language. Most of us in this life path community don't do a lot of these and thous and King James, but a lot of us have prayer language anyway. We're polite when we pray. Um, there are little phrases that we use a lot. You know, hedge of protection. How often do you say hedge of protection when you're not praying? It's kind of like a prayer phrase. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying it's it's particular prayer language. But when we lament, when we wail, like all the polite phrasing. There's there's barely even room for it in your headspace because a lament is is a prayer from your guts. It's a prayer that goes beyond words that you even have to offer anymore. It's a crying out of your heart because your heart is broken. We are uncomfortable when we lament. And we should be because we're praying about something that is agonizing, that is heartbreaking. We're not explaining to God what's wrong. Lamenting is not an informational style of communication. We're not explaining to God what's wrong in the world. He knows. We're not getting him up to speed on it, you know? It's a relational form of prayer. We are connecting to him, reaching out without pretense about information that he already has. It's relational, not informational. We want to avoid simply blaming others when we complain. Um, We need to pray as someone who feels the pain of the situation and is prepared to repent and make changes that will be a part of the solution. A lament doesn't pray from a position of comfort. It can be tricky because we are often lamenting someone else's sinful choices. Sometimes we lament over things that we've done, and, and we all know the difference between being sorry for something you've done or being sorry that you got caught doing it, right? We, we know the difference between lamenting our sin and lamenting the consequences of our sin. But what about when, when what we're grieving and what we're crying out about is primarily somebody else's wrongdoing, this whole word enemies, you know, that shows up in the psalm, and it shows up many places in the psalms. And so it's really hard. How can I be a part of the repentance and the change in someone else's behavior? And that's a really tricky thing. But what's interesting is the prayer of lament changes us regardless of whose sin started the whole thing. Sometimes God's answers to a prayer of lament are immediately to begin changing circumstances, sometimes they're not. But always, God's answers to a sincere prayer of lament to change us. We have never fully arrived. Maybe we've been blind to what's going on, so we're complicit in the sin by being insensitive to it. Maybe we've minimized it, and so we're complicit by thinking we know it all. We already have it all figured out. Maybe we have preferred comfort to responsibility. Maybe we've been paralyzed by someone else's sin, too afraid to do anything. Maybe we've been hateful because of someone else's sin. Complicit by hardening our hearts. We love that idea of, oh, hate the sin, but love the sinner. But a lot of times we hate the sin and hate the sinner, and our hearts become hard. Maybe we've been hopeless, and we've been complicit in the sin by leaving God out of the paradigm. When we look really ugly sin in the face, it can completely overwhelm our view of God. So we need to be ready to hear and obey Him as we yield and repent, whatever it is that the Spirit of Jesus is, is longing to transform in us in the face of this sin. So we complain, we complain honestly, we lose the prayer language, but we complain with a heart that is willing to be transformed by Jesus. We make a bold ask. We get to ask why, and we get to ask what are you gonna do about it? And God is not put off by this, which is such a huge relief. Often we ask why, and that's okay. Some of us are wired to always ask why. I had a high school teacher who had why in a big corkboard, like mounted on the wall, because that was what he wanted us to do in life, was just ask why. And it kind of worked with me because I'm a why asker. Some of you really are not why askers, that's okay. But if you are, we're allowed to ask why. But we need to remember that god's answer to why may not make sense to us intellectually because our brains are this big compared to god's brain which is much bigger so he's willing to share his heart i mean he he says that he wants to lead us into all knowledge and wisdom and understanding that's process and sometimes he gives me a why that i go yeah i still don't understand but that's okay um Parents sometimes get their child's consent and cooperation because the child understands why what they're asking for is good. But other times, parents get a child's consent and cooperation because the child trusts the parents, even though he doesn't understand the situation. If we trust our father, then even if our brains aren't big enough to understand the intellectual pieces of how a situation is playing out and what he's doing in it, we can still give him our cooperation. We can say yes. And we can um, yield all the stuff that we get in the way of cooperating with him. But it's because we trust him, not because we necessarily intellectually have it nailed down. We get to ask what? What are you going to do about it? And I think we can be encouraged to keep it simple. Um, Some of the lament... Psalms are really long and really detailed, and there's a long list of suggested things that God should do. You know, breaking teeth, breaking arms, dashing things, whatever. But some of them are really simple, like Psalm 13. And basically, the heart of it is to say, You're God, do something Godlike. Because as humans, we're kind of out of options here. I'm at the end of what I can figure out to do or I'm at the end of my resources, or I'm exhausted, I got nothing left. You're God, come in and do something godlike. That's a really simple, what are you gonna do about it prayer? That's a really effective one because it's prayer of humility. If I'm asking God to come do something godlike, then I'm admitting that I don't actually have all the answers. I know as much as I know, I understand as much as I know, but I'm not positive that I have it all figured out. I don't actually have the power, the energy, the time, the money, the resources, the connections, whatever, to make change happen. I have periods of great fervor, but they're followed by crashes of exhaustion. I'm asking you to come in and be Godlike. I don't know any other person or organization who does have all the answers, who does have all the energy, time, resources and connections necessary to fix this, because we're all human, except for you, God, your God. I need you to do something godlike in this situation. That's a bold ask. Boldly asking why and boldly asking, so what are you going to do about it? They're bold things, but it's a boldness that we're encouraged by Scripture to do as we come before God and lament. And finally, we choose to trust. Psalm 13 is six verses long, and verses five and six are about choosing to trust recognizing salvation and having a reason to sing. That's quick turnaround. I don't always get there in six verses when I lament. I'm more of a 600 verse kind of girl, you know? Um, but the pattern is lovely. If you can get there by verse six, go for it. It's a choice to trust. Trusting is always a choice, and it is rarely an effortless choice. Um, sometimes we feel alone. Sometimes we feel confused. Sometimes we have doubts and doubt is not actually the opposite of faith. Sometimes it feels like it does. And sometimes we are very quick to condemn ourselves for having doubts. And unfortunately there are long traditions within the church over centuries that have taught us that having doubts is in opposition to a life of faith. Um, So some of us have a lot of baggage with that. If you just had more faith, anybody ever heard that? But doubt is not the opposite of faith. Despair is. Despair is when we give up and say, never mind. I'm done being a Christian. Jesus, this is not working out. Apparently, you aren't real. Done. Walking away. Not asking anymore. Do you know that it is a whole lot holier to cuss at God in prayer than it is to stop praying? God would much rather you said really ugly words to him than that you stopped talking to him because when you stop talking to him, you're sliding into despair. When you have doubts, sometimes it comes out ugly, but you're still wrestling with him, which means you're still eager to hold on to him. It's a choice to trust him. And that choice is a sign that our faith is alive and kicking, even if it's struggling and even if it's messy. Prayers of lament are not failures of our faith; they're exercises of faith. They're practice. I read a quote from Michael Guinan, who's a Franciscan professor, and he said, "We cry out directly to God because deep down we know that our relationship with God counts. It counts to us, and it counts to God." I'm going to read that again. I just think that's really profound. At this in our nation and our personal lives. We cry out directly to God because deep down we know that our relationship with God counts. It counts to us and it counts to God. So you say what you can honestly say that you already know about God because of your relationship with him thus far. That's going to be different things for different people. You can't just randomly pull some scriptures out that sound like super faith-filled if you don't really have any of that experience in your life. You can choose to agree with them intellectually. That's good. That's a good practice. It's, it's discipline and it's diligence and it's studying the Word of God and it's um, choosing to meditate on the Word of God. But when you call to remembrance the moments in your own relationship with God where he has shown up and done God-like things, where he has been amazingly loving and patient with you, and he has transformed something in your life because of it, where you have seen him intervene in circumstances or situations and just blow you out of the water. When you look back and you call to mind those moments that you yourself have seen God be God, those are the moments that you're choosing to trust. Those are the moments that you are standing against despair. You're saying, you have been there for me. Who is it? Eric said a couple of weeks ago in noon prayer, right? God has a proven track record. It's a beautiful statement. And he has a track record in your life that is uniquely yours. You get more than just the scripture to look to. You get your own experience with him. And you can call that to remembrance. And it can serve you really well in a time of lament. That's how you get to verse five and six, because he is still God. He is still love. He is good. He is Savior. We do have a reason to sing. Melanie, would you mind throwing that summary slide up? Say what you can honestly of what you already know about God because of your journey of faith thus far in life. A prayer of lament is a pretty simple thing, but it's an incredibly powerful thing, and I think it's a really timely thing. We complain. We make a bold ask. We choose to trust, but we complain, ready to hear the answer and obey him as we yield and repent. We make a bold ask, but we ask for the why or the what are you going to do, and we ask as his child, not his advisor. This is relational, not informational, and then we choose to trust. We say what we honestly can say that we already know about God because of our own journey of faith thus far in life, and we get to verse five and six. trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me and I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. So let's lament.